Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. As the Russia-Ukraine conflict intensifies, some Ukrainians are seeking asylum at the San Ysidro port of entry at the U.S.-Mexico border. Kate Morrissey covers immigration at the Union Tribune. Kate, you were down there yesterday. What's going on? So yesterday I met a Ukrainian family um, that had just been turned back from the U.S. border. They had walked up to the port of entry, um, presented their passports to an official standing at the actual border line, um, what border officials typically call the limit line. And um, the officials waved them to the side and they waited there. And then another official eventually came and told them that they could not seek asylum, that they could not come into the United States and that they needed to leave. Um, a Mexican police officer came several times to try to get the family to leave the area. And um, there just so happened to be an immigration attorney in line as this was going on who noticed what was happening to this family. And so the attorney um, began making calls both to U.S. officials and to other sort of asylum advocates and attorneys in the Tijuana area. Um, and so by the time uh, it was getting dark, there was a small circle of immigration attorneys and other advocates who were, were with the family. Um, they ended up walking the family back to the hotel. Um, and, you know, the family basically gave up for the evening. What has been or what is the, the United States policy on immigration for Ukrainians right now? Well, for Ukrainians who were already in the United States when Russia invaded, there's now um, temporary protected status, which is something that they can apply for that would keep them from being deported. Um, there are people of different nationalities who have had this kind of protection for decades. And it, it's something that um, different presidential administrations can choose to keep renewing over time. Um, so it, it's something that can end up in sort of a long-term time in the United States, but it's not actually like a green card or residency or anything like that. I think that's an important point. Um, and for anyone who's arriving now, it's too late to apply for temporary protected status. You have to be able to show that you were already inside the United States on the date that, that was announced in the temporary protected status order. And so, um, you know, for this family, they are pretty much left with the same option that people fleeing Central American countries, people fleeing South American countries, people fleeing African countries, people fleeing Asian countries, people fleeing all over the world who end up in Tijuana um, are, are left with, and that is requesting protection at the border. Um, and since the pandemic, that has basically been closed at ports of entry. Um, there were a lot of restrictive policies prior to the pandemic that made accessing U.S. soil in order to request an asylum screening already pretty difficult. But with this sort of latest policy, Title 42, um, it's, it's basically shut down. And even if you cross without permission, depending on what nationality you are, you could very well find yourself expelled either to the country you crossed from, Mexico, 
or to your country of origin, or in some cases to another random country that has agreed to take your nationality. Um, for Ukrainians and Russians, um, we haven't seen as many expulsions of those nationalities, either because Mexico won't take them back or because their countries won't take them back or other countries won't take them. So it's, it's very much a country by country negotiation about who the United States is able to expel. Will you talk about what it's like right now um, for asylum seekers? You know, like what what is the process like? What is the best case scenario for people now waiting at the border, regardless of their their nationality? You know, how how long does this take in a best case scenario? Um, I don't know that there's an answer to that question. Um, it really depends on um, the the luck of the individual person and the, in the choices that they make it, it feels kind of like a roulette in trying to decide what is the best way to access protection. Um, some people feel that it's worth the risk to try to cross without permission. Um, we've seen people doing that over, for example, Otai mountain. Um, that's a very dangerous path, right? Just physically dangerous at that point, you're also probably putting your hands, putting your life in the hands of a smuggler, which increases the risk, increases the danger. Um, even if you're not doing that to access the border, to, to cross over the, um, the border barrier and to cross um, in that manner, you have to go through territory that is run by criminal organizations in Mexico. And if you don't pay them a fee for crossing through their territory, they will come find you, as I'm told from, I've been told by many migrants about that. And so you're having to navigate all of those dangers in addition to the great physical danger of just hiking that mountain and, and maybe making it to somebody who's going to pick you up or being found by border patrol and then border patrol either expelling you or allowing you access to the asylum screening process. Um, there's other folks who have tried to drive through um, the port of entry in order to get onto U.S. soil and request protection. I wrote about that a few weeks before um, the invasion happened, actually, and that has um, been especially notable among people from Russia and Eastern European countries like Ukraine. Um, and the response that we've seen from the U.S. government is to staff more officers at that limit line to prevent cars from getting onto US soil before they've verified whether people have documents allowing them to enter so that they can get Mexican police to come and take away the cars of asylum seekers who are trying to drive onto US soil to request protection. Um, and we've even seen cases where in the process of trying to block the car, the car has made contact with the body of the officer standing there and then the asylum seeker gets charged with assaulting a federal officer and ends up in, you know, a federal criminal court situation. Um, and then there was the case in December where um, a border official fired shots at an SUV with Russian asylum seekers in it. And the driver, who was himself an asylum seeker, was charged with smuggling the other asylum seekers into the United States. So there are a lot of different kinds of risks. And 
any person might know some of the risks, but not all of them necessarily. And so they're having to weigh all of these things in figuring out how to access the system because they cannot access it by walking up and saying, I'm an asylum seeker and I want to request protection. That path is closed. Do you see any any special exceptions being made for Russians or Ukrainians fleeing this particular conflict? Well, I can tell you that I was told recently today that the family from yesterday um, has now been allowed into the United States. Um, So that's new news. Um, And that happened with the coordination with these immigration attorneys contacting they're the people they know in in customs and border protection and asking them to make an exception for this family um and so sometimes you know attorneys are able to do that we don't know how successful individuals who don't have attorneys are at doing that um i've also heard that there's now another ukrainian couple standing at the border today asking to come in that so far has not been let in um it it's really hard to say when things can turn out so differently from person to person what the policy is that's actually being followed on the ground or like what's going to happen to somebody are there are there discussions of equity happening around this topic you know because i know there are a lot of asylum seekers from a lot of different places, many of them seeking uh, dangerous situations or fleeing dangerous situations, uh, fleeing violence. So what is the talk around that? Yeah, there have been a lot of people pointing out the um, the difference in not only the, gov- the U.S. government or like European government's um, responses of of how of vocalizing support for Ukrainian refugees or um, saying that they will receive some number of Ukrainian refugees or in the case of, of several European countries, you know, saying, yes, come, like we're going to, we're going to process you. Um, that stands in pretty sharp contrast with what we see in both the United States and Europe when it comes to people fleeing refugee situations more generally. Um, there's been a lot of reporting in recent days about, you know, the, the pushbacks from Greece for people who are fleeing the Middle East and, and fleeing African countries um, where, that, where they're crossing on boats and, and making it to, to Greece and then actually being sent back by the, the Greek government. Um, and we see that happening here. That's been happening, you know, at the U.S.-Mexico border for years where people make it to U.S. soil and then one policy or another sends them back to Mexico. Right now, it's the Title 42 policy. We also have the Remain in Mexico program, um, which does screen people for asylum in some manner. Um, but they're required to be in Mexico um, where many of them are in danger while they're waiting. And so, um, you know, when you look at the, the response to 
white European people fleeing harm, the response to black and brown people fleeing harm, it doesn't line up, um, whether you're talking about the United States or Europe. And even, you know, coming out of Europe, there's been the reports of um, black and brown students in Ukraine trying to flee Ukraine and getting stopped at the border. So even, even in that way, we are seeing this discriminatory behavior or these disparate sort of policies based on how people look or where they're from. This is obviously such a heavy and complicated issue, but is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything that you'll be watching or that we should be watching? You know, I think what really struck me about the family I met yesterday was how similar their story was in so many ways to stories that I've told for years. Something happened in their country that made it unsafe for them. They made the extremely difficult decision to leave. Um, In the case of this mother, it was for the lives of her three children. Um, She left behind her own mother in order to protect her kids. Um, And she was in tears about that, telling me about that yesterday. Um, They went through several countries and they headed to the place where they had family. Their family happened to be here. If their family outside of Ukraine had been somewhere else, they might have gone to that place. I think it's likely they would have gone to that place. They came here specifically because they had people who said, if you can make it to me, I will help you. I will house you. I will feed you. I will make sure that you're safe. And I hear that story over and over again, whether it's you know, the woman from Nicaragua who I wrote about years ago who came to the United States because she has an aunt here who said the very same thing after her government beat her and left her for dead. The details are always unique. And, and of course, each person's story is, and experience is theirs. And, and I don't want to speak for them or, or lump people together in an inappropriate way. But I do think that there are these commonalities in these stories and in these experiences. And so when you see how the public reacts to one group versus another group, or when you see how the government reacts to one group versus another group, it makes the difference that much more striking because of what they do share. Yeah, really well said, Kate. Kate Morrissey, immigration reporter. Thank you. Thanks.